You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Thank you, Preston. I'm going to offer you a message in a moment, but before I do that, our children are going to go upstairs and they'll continue their meeting upstairs with some child care providers. Can we get the words of the prophet up here too? What's that? You want to talk? Yeah, go ahead. We'll get you that, Damon. You ready to read something? Here's Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. Oh, you don't want to? Who, who's up for reading it? Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. We're going to start with some scripture, shall we? All right, young man. The, words, the word that Isaiah, son of, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's the first Sunday of Advent. Advent means arrival. So we enter into a season of waiting and wandering and wandering. Some of us, we put up a Christmas tree here. Thank you, Bethany. And I have a Christmas tree that's currently wet and in my living room because it was outside on my car for a long time. And we're now anticipating Christmas coming. In our tradition, we await Jesus to come. And we're hopeful for what's to come. Some of us know the story. But some of us also, there's some mystery, there's some fear, there's a uncertainty of exactly how it will express itself. Jesus comes as a in, in, in the spirit of the prophets, the Messiah is coming, but in a form they don't know. And I'm not sure as we sit in our own advent, as we await the return of Jesus, what form Jesus will come in. Excuse my unorthodoxy, but you know maybe Jesus will return to us incarnate in some other form altogether. Although that's a question for you to think about with yourself. Does Jesus have to be a Palestinian rabbi? You know, I don't, that's a, I don't have an answer to that question. I only have questions. Each Advent then is a season of waiting for a mysterious hope, this coming Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And we sit with individuals during the season who have been waiting for the Messiah. This week we're with the prophets. The prophets show us 
how a whole new world can be imagined. They're unencumbered by worldly consciousness. They're unencumbered by worldly thinking. How we see the world, they see beyond it. This particular passage has been used to cast vision for a whole new world. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Martin Luther King says, we're, we're going to study war no more. Same, same exact verse he's quoting there. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who marched with King in the civil rights era in the 1960s, says that the prophets bring about this new order because their vision is aligned with God's vision. They see the world as God sees the world. He says, the prophet is a human who sees the world with the eyes of God. And in the sight of God, even things of beauty or acts of ritual are an abomination when associated with injustice. Even acts of beauty, things of beauty and acts of ritual are an abomination when associated with injustice. Quite an indictment for the Christian church who has beautiful things, who has rituals, but who has often been associated with injustice. Prophets don't simply act for the ideas of justice and compassion. They are, they are not proclaimers of justice as if they are speaking in the name of moral law. Rather, they speak on behalf of the God of justice for God's concern for justice. Heschel tells us that the rationality of the world, the way the world thinks, is in stark contrast with the way of God. And this is expressed by the prophets. What is most rational to us seems irrational to the prophets. What is most rational to the prophets seems irrational to us. Because we, as followers of God, ally ourselves with God. We try to operate out of a new understanding of the world. How prophets act is foolish to their worldly detractors. This is why Paul in Romans 12 says that we are no longer conforming to the patterns of this world. Why in 1 Corinthians he calls the cross foolishness. Why he proclaims to the Philippians that the peace of God surpasses understanding. God is operating in a different framework undoing the reality and the consciousness that we dwell in. This new consciousness, though, is not meant to merely allow us to transcend our present suffering. It's not just transcendent. It's not just meant for us to ignore the pain that we're in. It's not meant for us to see shootings in Philadelphia or shootings in Virginia or shootings in Colorado Springs and say, okay, get over that. You're in a worldly consciousness mode. Don't think about that pain. No, that's not the point. but to engage with it materially without fear or mindfulness of worldly constraints around that thinking. No, we don't need to live in a society where these shootings happen because we don't submit to the consciousness of the world. We imagine a new victory of God. We imagine exactly the prophecy that Isaiah gives us right at the beginning of 
the book of prophecy. Because we serve a God who has defeated death. Our, 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 we, we orient ourselves towards a whole new way of imagining the world, a whole new way of imagining life, a way of imagining that death can be defeated. Our prophetic imagination allows us to name what the world calls impractical as practical. What the world calls impossible, we call possible because we serve a God who rules over worldly political orders and subverts them with God's political order. Make no mistake, what Isaiah is giving us is a new political imagination. And for us to bring about this new consciousness, we must interrogate what dominates our consciousness. What are the underlying assumptions in our society that go without saying? What are the foregone conclusions of our society that we find no notable or substantive disagreement? The prophetic imagination allows us to challenge and critique and demonstrate an alternative to those conclusions. This passage that we're working with is from Isaiah, and it describes a vision for an age to come where God will reign, where violence ends. where we'll beat our swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. God is reigning supreme, and nations don't fight against one another. There is peace across the world that results from the reign of God. The reign of God that begins with the incarnation of Jesus. This is the political age to come. This idea gives Isaiah's audience, who he is writing to, hope. They are exilic. Exilic meaning they are in exile. And this seems absurd to them. They remember that God liberates. They remember that God liberated the Israelites from their Egyptian slave masters, their Egyptian enslavers. They have a remnant of hope, just like we remember that God liberates us, but in their current oppression, in their current exile, it sounds absurd. And it sounds absurd to me, too. Impossible, unrealistic, foolish. I can't imagine a world without violence. I can't imagine a world where nations don't war against nations. This isn't how the world works. I can't imagine this end-of-the-world hope that Isaiah offers. I mean, sometimes I just think the world will end in flames. I was just telling the group before we were praying, you know, one week it's violence, it's gun violence, and the other week it's climate change, you know? It's like, okay, we solved this problem, we have this other big problem to solve. The, the world's, this, it's not going great all the time. It's actually going poorly, it seems like to me. And like getting worse, you know, in many, many ways. Just like this week, the Club Q shooting that ended with five dead. For queer people, the bar is a, the club is a sanctuary where you're not afraid to hold someone's hand and be connected to somebody in a way that you are in the street. When someone comes into your sanctuary with a gun, you know, the most dangerous thing about a drag show is that a Christian might show up with a gun. That's scary. 
That's frightening. And then a shooting in West Virginia in Walmart with a pistol ends up with six dead. A lot of times they want to talk about, uh, there's like graphics on the internet, they'll say AR-15, which is the big assault rifle that kills a lot of people in these mass shootings. But this wasn't even an assault rifle. It was a pistol, like a little handgun. Six people ended up dead in a Walmart by a manager who worked there for 10 years. That's, that's, that's frightening. And then a shooting outside of Philadelphia High School. When does it end? We see existential problems that don't go away, you know? It was a big deal in the, in, when the Cold War ended. But did it end? We're still fighting the Cold War, right? You're still seeing Russia and Western conflict right now. Perpetual war. Looming nuclear conflict. What's that? Yeah. We built weapons that could destroy the earth. The whole thing. And we thought, this isn't a bad idea. It's, 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 it's pretty mind-boggling. We see racism in our society, in our church, and in our society, and it feels apocalyptic. You know, white supremacy and white nationalism and Christian nationalism is like mainstream belief. It's not even like something that you're afraid of talking about. It's like common vernacular. And I hear it, even in, my, even in my brown family. Over Thanksgiving, we just hear Christian nationalist rhetoric. You know, and it's like a joke. You know? It's like a frustrating circumstance. That, like, we talk about, this is a real big problem. It, it has existential consequences. It threatens us. You know, and people think that, like, polarization is our issue or something like that. And there's more. Babies are getting RSV now, which is a respiratory virus. And in part because they have less exposure because of how we lived our lives for the last three years. And so now it's worse. Now it's out here. Now we have a triple-demic, they're saying, which is COVID, the flu, and RSV all floating around. Anti-Semitism is a scourge that is coming up. Christians have perpetuated anti-Semitism for millennia, literally since kind of the beginning of Christianity. And it's still lingering, and it's still gaining momentum in mainstream discourse. Like a prominent comedian just issued anti-Semitic talking points as a joke. It's like, what progress are we making? What are we doing? And again, the transphobia, the homophobia that results in death is again perpetuated by Christians. You know, so often Christians are the ones who are 
downplaying the effects of respiratory viruses that can lead to long COVID and um, chronic fatigue syndrome, downplaying anti-Semitism or, or, or the threat of it, white nationalism, Christian nationalism. So Isaiah's eschatological vision, eschatology is like a big word for end of the world. End of time. This is how it's going to be. God's going to reign and there'll be no more war and our swords will be into plowshares and so on. God, his vision seems unrealistic as it is, just regardless of your creed, whether you're a Christian, Jew, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever, atheist, agnostic. This seems unrealistic as we live in a world of perpetual conflict, war, violence, racism, homophobia, environmental degradation. You just name the list of all the things. But so often for me, I, I'm not just a victim of this. I perpetuate it. Like, I'm in the belly of the beast. I'm, I'm the one, like, perpetuating the thing that he says is going to end as a Christian. It doesn't seem unrealistic because I'm in captivity, though I am in some ways. But it's because the religion I herald and espouse is the one holding the oppressed captive so often. That's, that's a frustrating circumstance to be in because I cry out to the God of the oppressed, the one who will liberate me, my redeemer, save me. And who are you saving me from? The Christians who are oppressing me. What's up with that? So we're not, to me, sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm an oppressed person being persecuted by the Romans and the Assyrians and the Babylonians. As a Christian, it feels like I am a Roman, I am a Babylonian, I am an Assyrian. And I don't know what to do with that, you know? I don't know how to hold that. It's painful. But in this environment, in this Christian environment, the cross is right next to me, Advent candles are right before me, the hope of the world is about to be born. Hope is supposed to be our, uh, the fuel that drives us. It's supposed to be the currency of our economy. And yes, I hold on to that hope. I have the hope. I hold on to the faith. I have the belief. But so often it's dashed to bits. I want to believe. I really do. I want to believe this vision. I want to. I, I have to pray that God helps me when I don't believe. Like I said earlier, these days when I see a church or a group of Christians, I assume it's unsafe for queer folks like me. Churches aren't safe for me in that sense. We try to make this one safe, great. And we're working on it, and there's a lot of, a lot of good work doing in this, in this church and churches like ours that help us feel that way. But churches in general just don't feel that way. And even for me as a person of color, the church is predominantly white, the pastor is white. Well, I'm not sure it's going to be safe for me either. They're not always flagrantly homophobic or racist. Sometimes they're just homophobic and racist in like polite ways. And sometimes, as I'm holding on to hope, my anger eclipses my hope. 
And I look at those holding me captive, and I, 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 and I, I, I think about them, and I, and I have a hard conviction in me because I don't, I don't want my oppressors to enjoy Isaiah's eschatological vision of hope. A new earth where God reigns. I'm angry. I don't want to jump to the end. I don't want to just transcend all of my pain. I have problems with that. It's a good thing I'm not the one delivering it. Then I remember, we don't get to this peaceful eschaton, this peaceful circumstance without trial, without tribulation, without the very captivity of Israel being in captivity for their disobedience, for the judgment that awaits them. And so then I'm humbled because instead of praying for the judgment of my enemies and for the suffering of my enemies, because I am assured the perfect judgment of God, I pray for the mercy of God because I'm no, I am not innocent. I'm not just a victim of oppression but I'm also a perpetuator of it. Even if I am repentant, the harm I've caused as an able-bodied Christian man needs reckoning. Even if the harm I faced as a brown queer man needs healing. We're complicated people. I wrote a book called uh, Jesus Takes a Side, where I talk about God being on the side of the oppressed. It's kind of the point of the book in many ways. And a lot of people come up to me and say, well, aren't we both oppressors and oppressed? How can God take our side if we're both? I don't think that's a refutation of the argument. I don't think we need to find a third way between oppressor and oppressed because I'm a man and I'm able-bodied and can occupy the space of the oppressor and I'm queer and brown and can occupy the space of the oppressed. I can be both, just like you can be. The point, my, my, my experience occupying both places doesn't even um, mean I should offer empathy to my oppressors. But rather that I, I experience, I, I, we seek liberation as oppressed and we beg for mercy as oppressor. We don't find somewhere between those two. We do both. Does that make sense? So I've been an obstacle to, to anti-racism, to LGBT inclusion, to the advocacy of the disabled, and to the liberation of the poor. When I've also been used as a witness and an ally against those struggles, I've been both. God's vision for the future delivered by Isaiah is good news for the oppressed and oppressor, and it will liberate us, it will free us, and it will purify us too.
We both will be freed from how we've been oppressed and liberated from how we oppress. Purified. Well, I'm, so my prayer today is that God might come quickly. I need your advent, Lord. Come purify me, but also liberate me. May your mercy extend to me, and may you also free me from my suffering. The hope of Advent is that something new is coming, and we can continue to suffer as we fight forces of death, as we await the one who liberates us, the one named the Lord. The Lord is our justice is coming. We have a remnant of hope amidst turmoil, oppression, occupation. This world isn't the way it should be. We need to await our liberation, but also participate in something new and repent of the ways that we've contributed to how the world is as well. And I know that we aren't responsible for how the whole world is on our own. I know that. But that doesn't mean we're also not complicit. These are big forces, but we still play a part. The prophetic among us empathize with the pathos of God. We're working on doing the same, being attuned to it, so that we can counter the consciousness of the world that enforces these oppressive systems. May God liberate us, and may God purify us. May we repent and be saved. We imagine a new possibility because our attunements to God and the arrival of God liberates us. So let's practice hope this season. Let's keep practicing hope. Don't let despair overcome you and don't let our complicity in that despair cause us to deny it. As we hold the mystery that somehow this baby Savior will bring about a whole new way of thinking of the world, thinking of ourselves. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.